Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Did you hear me taking a piss? No, thankfully. I can hear you. (laughs) Whatever. You would listen to my stream once and put it into your mental Rolodex for later on. I know you. Uh, I'm just going to put... It's always you. It's always you little unassuming, (laughs) unassuming little white guys who who are into the creepiest stuff. You probably have to like step on a cat to finish or like something strange. (laughs) (laughs) No? Am I wrong? Uh, I I have no problems with any of that. I did. I remember when I was in college, I had this buddy who was kind of like freshman year he was like the music guy we really bonded over music and like mm-hmm. we could never get him to go out in college because mm-hmm. he was he couldn't said he couldn't piss in public oh really yeah. wow <laughs> he's like he could never take him to a club needless oh, to man. say our friendship That's a lasted, hard thing but not a bummer yeah we didn't hang out much after oh i thought year. you i thought i mean that's funny in a way, actually, it's kind of sad. I thought you had a great sexually explicit story for me. So can I tell you about something I discovered? I can give you a sexually explicit story if you'd like. Oh, to. okay. I'll be quiet. Go on. <laughs> no, tell me what you discovered. Okay. I discovered that, and it, it's something I'm enjoying. Like, there's not much to enjoy about 2020. Well, actually, there is if you, you know, decide to look in the right direction. But one thing that's developed apparently is an obsession with your nussy, okay, which is your nose pussy. What? And this is what people are calling it online, your nussy. And apparently (laughs) people are sexually fetishizing getting COVID tests. So they call it your nussy. Wait. And and they're saying that after like a number of times of getting a COVID test, that feeling you get back there kind of is like a unique feeling that you sort of start to crave what people are making these amsr videos of like you know really like soft speaking doctors (laughs) like about to like put this thing in your nose (laughs) and it's become it's become fetishized and this is why i love Uh... people like people are the greatest. <laughs> like I, I love people. Oh, humans are the worst. No, we are the Dude. best because amidst this, we managed to sexually fetishize COVID tests I mean, in your nussy. <laughs> oh, and I just, I, I don't know. I couldn't love it more. I, I couldn't. This is the first I've heard about this, but I, it does totally explain something, which I oh, found terribly confusing. I've had two 
tests, right? Uh-huh. I had an antibody test too, which was a blood test, but I've had two COVID tests where they invaded my nussy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the first one was it was a little it was a little oh, it was surprising and shocking and not <laughs> right, really right. not pleasant. The uh-huh. second one was horrible. The oh, second one okay. was like she was digging for a fucking trying to pop a zit back there or something. Yeah, okay. and I couldn't figure out why there was such a huge difference. Like, was it just the doctor? Had they learned in the interim that like uh-huh. they weren't getting enough like good results? And now I think she was just trying to dissuade me from like getting into it. Oh, or or <laughs> big or. Maybe uh, she was an S and M type. Uh, you know, I'm not like a nurse could be into sadomasochism. Maybe she just enjoyed making you squeal a little bit. Maybe she's on those websites too. Uh, okay. Okay. You reminded me. I'm going to tell you a sex story now. Oh, okay. Please. When I was, you know, young and cool and in a band in the goops, <laughs> uh-huh. it was before we had gotten huge, but we were still, we we're pretty, we we're really big in New York. Okay. And I needed to go to the dentist. So my friend goes, said, go to my dentist. You're going to really like her. And so I go to his dentist. It was this kind of older middle-aged woman, but like, good shape right like she's a good looking woman but she like she was such a genius because she had literally what I would describe as playboy material um, assistant oh okay like for real like smoking like it was like a skit you know tight outfit okay and she's the one that you know cleans your teeth and everything and and I'm to this day, I don't know if this was my imagination, but I swore that while she was digging in, cleaning my teeth, that I could hear her, like, making noises, like, moaning. Oh, like, whispering a little bit? Like, moaning. <gasps> Whoa, and, and, really? And, as soon as, and there was, but she was completely professional. There was no indication that this was happening whatsoever. Yeah, right. And when it was over, like, she was, it was everything was completely normal. And I was like, am I insane? Like, Right. I was, I mean, this was like, I was not desperate at the time. Like I was doing all right. So it wasn't like I'm sitting there imagining that this chick is hot for me or whatever. Were you but, on moon gas? No, she was just cleaning my teeth. But dude, I mean, and, <laughs> so after it was over, I was like, I was a little bit like flabbergasted. Yeah, sure. But I had to give, we, I had a flyer for a show because we fucking had a show coming up that week. <laughs> you gave her a flyer. And I'm like, hey, can you, you want to come to my show? Like, we, I'm in a band. Put you on the guest list. Never heard you from can, her again. I never went yeah. back to that dentist for whatever reason. But I, <laughs> to this day, I still think about that experience and think, was, was I imagining it? Yeah. Could you perhaps lustily breathe in my ear while I play guitar tonight, <laughs> young woman? But, so, all right. So after all these years, like, what do you think was actually happening? Do you think she was actually doing it? I have no idea. I really have no idea. I mean, obviously, when you get in there with those drills, like, you, could, I, it could make all kinds of resonant frequencies in my jaw. And I could, <laughs> right. I could imagine yeah. hearing anything. And if it had been, if it had been, you know, like, earlier, if I had been a teenager or a little more desperate, I could see, like, making myself believe that that's what was happening. But I was like doing okay at that moment in time and like yeah. i mean i would ask her to come to the show regardless of whether i had sure. thought that that was happening you were feeling bold and so days. honestly yeah. to this day i could not tell you i think that yeah i don't know it, it's it was an amazing but the one thing i took it from, took away from it was that like what a genius move to hire this like super hot dental assistant who like every young rock i mean who's the hardest people to get to come to the dentist is like <laughs> yeah young men right <laughs> like, yeah i suppose so <laughs> oh my goodness 
I mean, but then I, I think, and I'm like, I'm imagining some young woman who happens to be very beautiful, but by like sophomore year of high school, she just has like an obsession with teeth. Yeah. You know, and she's just like, oh, I really love the dental world. And I wish I didn't look like this. So people would take me more seriously in my craft. Right. You know? <laughs> but also, like, dude, I, we've also ran into like in our time, some pretty nutty women who it's quite possible she was either just trying to fuck with me or maybe she was really into it to that. We're enjoying extent. it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's very possible. So all this being, this is the perfect segue into something I wanted to make sure I talked and don't feel ashamed, Brad. In another time, I'll tell you the story of when I'm pretty sure I got a blowjob from a ghost. Okay. <laughs> Whoa. But the, yeah, yeah. 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 Another <laughs> podcast. Okay. <laughs> but this leads to, you know, last episode, I sort of reached out to the going off track fan base here and I asked for sexually explicit comments on our iTunes oh, message God. board. <laughs> and you know how many we got? I haven't looked. No. Goose egg, Brad. <laughs> Not one. I've been checking every day all week to see if somebody would come in hot with a Teddy Pendergrass uh, comment. Jesus. Nothing yet. Maybe so, better that we... We we want to get authentic, real, like sincere <coughs> comments. Listen, Brad. Every <laughs> asshole and their mother has a podcast these days. Okay, <laughs> I want to be the one with just unusual and unnecessary sexually explicit comments. Uh, it's just funny, isn't it? it I don't is, know. It's funny to me. It is funny. funny to me. It's funny. Well, as usual, that's <laughs> ten minutes not talking about Jeff Rickley or Thursday or the interview we have. But uh, I met Jeff when I was in my, you know, maybe like mid 20s uh, when I was doing the band, like towards the early 20s, I guess, towards the, the end of low end theory and then into a band called The Killing Gift. And we started playing shows. And, you know, there was this sequence for a while in New Brunswick where I was watching these bands who my band was bigger than. We'd play a show together. We'd become friends. We'd start to build this community. And then this band would get signed and then they would leave <laughs> New Brunswick and I would stay. Thursday right. was part of that. Luckily, by the time Thursday did it, I'd kind of gotten over it from Midtown and Saves the Day. And I started just being happy for my friends who made it out of town. Right. But they were, you know, I mentioned it in this interview. They were one of those bands. It wasn't like Thursday had something cool from the get, you know, but it took him a little while to like really get this like thing that was special. And like what Jeff talked about right there, there was like a quick turnaround where people were like, Oh shit, this band is like special, right. you know, and they're doing something interesting and this music is different. You know what I mean? And it's true. There wasn't a lot of bands doing exactly what Thursday were doing at the time. Um, they came out, they had kind of like a great demo and were like killing in the basement shows, a good live performance. And then you just watched it take off. And it was a really fun thing to watch because I was always like proud of Thursday, especially, you know, Jeff and the guys, they were really, they held on to that New Brunswick thing, you know, as long right. as they could, as big as they got, you'd always see these little signs that like they were still involved or interested in their community and, you know, always wanted to help. And, you know, Jeff talks about in this interview, the struggle of, how hard it is to remain like personal and cool like that with everyone when there's too many people, 
Um, you know, like when you're playing basement shows with eight people there, it's easy to, you know, have a drink with everyone after and <laughs> right. you all talk your stories and have this personal connection. But if a thousand people come to your show and 75 are waiting backstage and 60 of them have a super personal emotional admission that they want to give you, it's, it's, it's taxing it's on not, people, man. Like, yeah. and it's, it's probably not even really realistic. No. So it's definitely an interesting part of this interview to talk about because Jeff is such a, a giving guy in that way. And to even hear him be like, yo, like you just hit a point, like how much of other people's shit can you really take on? You know, <laughs> yeah. like it's, it's impossible at a certain point, but I don't know. He's always a great conversation. Smart guy. Yeah. Number uh, four on going off track. So yeah. he's up there amongst the hall of famers. <laughs> I do think if you get a half dozen episodes, you should probably get a coat, right? I like to I like to refer to these repeaters as, you know, family. Going off track family, right? Oh, are you sending them fucking Christmas presents, Brad? Hey, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's listen to our interview with Jeff. Hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Jeff. Hi. Brad was yelling at me. <laughs> Brad, what are you doing? What are you doing? It was 427. He's like, get on. Jeff beat us both. This is what Benny texted to me right there, that message. You see it at the bottom? <laughs> yeah. I'm knit late yet. <laughs> yeah, and he's not he's knit. He's knit late. I wasn't knit late yet, man. <laughs> Jesus. You believe this guy, I, Jeff? I just you know it I believe it that. is a testament. <laughs> I think it's a real testament to the quality of our guests that they almost always beat us to the sessions. At least the- it's true. <laughs> Quality. It, it is true. Quality people who are taking our endeavors seriously, yeah. Brad. <laughs> you know, we couldn't appreciate it more. So, Jeff, thank you for your punctuality, sir. <laughs> what if I did this all in an accent today? I like it. I think you should. I really like accents. So, I did go, you know, I went holiday shopping the other day, and one part about mask wearing culture I've been sort of enjoying. Mm-hmm. is kind of like i like the anonymity you know uh-huh. oh yeah and there's been a number of times in public settings and stores that i just like will start making a series of funny faces or something under the mask to to make myself laugh <laughs> uh-huh. but then the other day i was just feeling a little sprightly in the morning and the first store i went into i was just like oh hello yes i am looking for this and then I just kept it going. <laughs> so I wound up doing like three or four accents for right. a number of stores. And I don't think I would have had the stones to do it if I wasn't wearing this mask, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. Because they can see from the shape of your mouth if it's a real accent or a fake accent. <laughs> That's right. That's and, science. Yeah, exactly. And my tiny little beady eyes give nothing away. <laughs> I'm, I'm literally nicknamed Mole Eyes by my wife's family because... <laughs> I can never see my eyes in uh, pictures. So, hi, Jeff. Thanks for coming on. Hey, buddy. How you doing? I'm young, pretty good. Young Benjamin. Young Benjamin. That's my name today. I'm. We're old now, Jeff. We met yeah. when we were pretty young. Yeah. We were young when we met, yeah. 20s? Early 20s. Early yeah. 20s. So, this is your third time on Going Off Track. Is it really? Yeah. You might be up there amongst the, the most featured guests. You were on... In 2017, and you were also episode number 28 all the way back in 2012. Yeah. 
Look at that. Yes. Wait, what about, does this Ooh, count gee. live? Does this count live going off track? Sure. Did you yeah. do a live one too? Yeah, I did. Oh, so you have four. Brad, four. who beats four? Does anyone beat four? Somebody's got to be four. Uh, Maybe Rosenstock. Yeah, I should look up Rosenstock because he's mm-hmm. got a lot. Yeah, he's been up there. <laughs> I beat I, four until I hijacked the show. That, that I just was- interviewed <laughs> Jeff for. Uh, I just interviewed Jeff Rosenstock uh, for for another for for a different thing. Oh really? And uh, and he's quite he's great. He's a great interview. You only have to ask like one question, and he'll just sort of take it in different directions, which I love. Yeah, he's got an infectious and energetic mind. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, you know, luckily I get to play music with him in the Antarctica Vespucci. So I've so gotten cool. to see uh, the way that mind moves over to music, too. And it's all very similar. It's really, really yeah, it's like it's fast. It's a little messy, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's always moving forward and it always gets done. You know what I mean? It's like this really like it's like a tornado that always reaches the finish line. Um, yeah. And it's he's really like an inspiring guy to like work with and be around. It's interesting. Six episodes. Oh, all right. Oh, way beat. Way beat. Not even close. Yeah. We got to get him like a golden jacket. But you know what's funny that I didn't remember. He, we already we did. The first one that we did with him was with Chris. Chris Farron. The two of them right. together. And then he did the tag team. Yeah, he did one with Laura, and then two more. Yeah, dude, he's like, <laughs> he's what a did, go-to uh, what did you <laughs> What did you interview him for, Jeff? Uprox. Do you know Uprox? I do. Yeah, uh, like a video thing about anything specific or just like rapping, making a mixtape. Oh. It's my show. It's my show. Oh yeah, oh. that's your new program. Yeah, yeah. So it's my it's my lockdown interview show. Yeah, so what's what's been the vibe? I'm sorry, I haven't listened yet. So you're, you're oh, you haven't watched it yet? You haven't watched our beautiful faces in lockdown? I'm sorry, I haven't. It's I will. done with uh, <laughs> it's done with studio magic to to bring us together across the lockdown. And then you do what? You go song for song and and make a mixtape? Yeah, we go through and pick some music together and talk about it. I love it. Do you try to keep it like thematic in the way yes. that you would make an actual mixtape? Yes. So each each episode with a different guest has its own like its own theme. Mm-hmm. And I say that theme in every segment as many times as possible. Okay. So I just will be like, you know, over and over again, like this is the energy mixtape. You know, I try and <laughs> emphasize it a certain way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, what are like, like, what are your like Rob Gordon mixtape rules? Uh-huh. Do you have um, do you have any hardcore like cannot break these mixtape rules? I try to listen to each song before I put it on the mix. I like to have heard it at least once before I put it on the mixtape. Okay. <laughs> I try not to put any songs that I'm like, yeah, put it on there. I've never heard it. Okay. That's that's, a, that's yeah, not too tough. Okay. But I had to what, negotiate that to get it in my contract. But what about <laughs> just flow? Just what about um, flow? Like you like opening and closing a certain way? No. No. You know, no, I'm an anarch. I'm a mixtape anarchist. Like uh, I'm like, let's try it. Whatever. I don't yeah. care. Let's go. Man, I used to think about it so much when I was on mm-hmm. cassette. I was like, this oh, next song dictates whether this woman will fall in love with me or not. Total, totally. <laughs> and I think that's why now I'm an anarchist is because I have somebody who, for whatever reason, seems to love me 
unconditionally. So I'm just mm. always testing the limits. Like, what if I put this crazy song on the mixtape next? I love that. I love that. Yeah. I know you're a big reader, so mm-hmm. I'd like you to listen. I've become a bit of an anarchist with reading. Ooh. And I've said this to a couple people who really took great umbrage to oh, what I said. Yeah. Which is at this point, at this stage, I turned 40 this year. You know, I'm not fucking around anymore. Windows Congrats, closing. Join the club. You know, I love thank it. You, thank you. And now that life is a closing window rather than an open road. <laughs> um, I, uh, when I get into a book, you know, sometimes you're 50, 60 pages in a book and you're just like, you know what? It's just not going to do it for me. Mm. I can see it the way it's written, the way these characters are developing. Mm. Even if there's a twist, I'm not going to enjoy this. Wow. And if I'm getting that sense from a book, I go, you know what? Fuck it. I flip to the last 10 pages. I see what happens and I move on with my life. Oh, wow. How do you feel about that? <laughs> yeah, no, I take extreme umbrage with it. <laughs> extreme. Um, Cause my, my partner, she's a bit of an anarchist when it comes to it too. She'll okay. decide around a hundred pages, whether or not she's going with it. Love it. And she'll just stop. She'll just stop. But she won't even, she's not the kind of person to flip to the end and just be like, Oh no, I know what happened. She's just out. She respects that, like, I'm not going to know. I don't care. Oh, okay. The flip to the end, Benny, is something that I think you need to look into because that's <laughs> twisted. I, <laughs> I respect it, but I think it's one of the craziest things I've ever heard in my oh life. Oh, my God. Tell me why, though. Why is it twisted? Because you're, like, you're trashing the book and saying, I'm never going to read this ever. That's it. That's it. It's a commitment to, like, you know what? Screw this book. <laughs> now I know what happened, and I have no respect for how you got there. Yo, but come on. There's a lot of books. You know, there's a lot of people like Mm -hmm. I can't I'm not going to put out an album. Right. And expect every person who's going to listen to this album to sit down, go track one through 11, reading lyrics, looking at art and going for the whole experience. You know, I know there are going to be some people are going to be like, yeah, this track's good. And they're never going to hear the other ones or something like you can't. You can't be. But you know that whole thing about spoiler. You know that thing about like spoiler warnings, though? Yeah, it's like that. It's like you're just like it's like if I played you the first song of my new album. Right. Right. And you were like, I'm going to commit right now to never listening to this record based on this first (laughs) song. Like, actually, you know what? I'm going to tell everybody else about how bad this record is right now. That's what it feels like when you skip to the end, because it's like there's no way you're going back after that. Yeah. But like, but let's say this. Right. Let's say you're you just turn on Metallica's uh, St. Anger. Right. And you hear that snare drum and you're just like, oh, God, no, 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 no. I can't do 40 minutes of that. That's fair, isn't it? That's fair. Well, with that record, it's definitely fair. Um, do you <laughs> so, know? Did, I'm just saying, did you ever know about our game in are... Thursday? Did we ever play this with you guys? I can't remember. I'm not we sure. We have a game in the Thursday van back in okay. the days of the van. Okay. Called, it's called Stanger. Okay, go on. And the game is that. Whoever you're traveling with by van, if you can throw it out of, if you can throw a CD copy of St. Anger out of your window and into their van, they have to listen to it front to back. (laughs) That's getting stangered. If it lands in your van, you got stangered and that's it. You have to listen to it. Yeah. How many successful stangers did you pull off? So many. (laughs) Wait, why did you have that many copies of their album around? No, because they'd get us back. Oh, I see. So like, uh, you know who really hated this game because he <laughs> lost so many times is uh, is Brandon from Circa. Oh, Brandon from okay. Circa. I when he was in um, a, 
oh, what was the band? This Day that? Forward. Uh, this Day Forward. When yeah. he was in This Day Forward, man, we got them so many times. <laughs> we they're actually pretty, bought yeah, it. Yeah, they're pretty mellow they, dudes. I could see it. They're so mellow and yeah. they're so cool. So they don't, would never listen to a record like that. Um, they actually smashed it on the road once, smashed it out of anger without even trying to get us back. We went and bought another copy at like eighteen ninety nine back when CDs were worth something. That is commitment. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So, it was worth it. I mean, this makes sense. I did hear in another uh, article that you were named after Chaucer and Shakespeare. I never realized that about you. Oh me? Yeah, personally, right. I was. Yeah. Yeah. So I yeah, can understand. Jeffrey Chaucer and William Shakespeare. Those were that's where my mom got my names. So yeah, where where did uh, is your where did that come from? Like for her. Yeah, yeah. Like, what? What was the? Mm. What was the push to do that? Was she trying to create a novelist, or? Well, she was a scholar. Uh, she has a PhD in 18th century comparative literature. I think. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's it. I think it's comparative lit. I'm not sure if that's the actual title. Any, but like illuminated manuscripts and stuff like that. And um, and I think, yeah, she just really, she was she was putting all her. Uh, putting all her, her, her faith in me being a writer, I think. And, uh, instead I went this way. <laughs> does she, does she teach or does she write? She did. She did a, a little bit of teaching. Uh, I was born in Providence cause my parents met at, at Brown university. Okay. And, um, and they did some teaching, uh, you know, to pay for like uh, graduate school and what, whatnot. Um, gotcha. But, uh, but no, they, she, uh, she ended up, taking a a, mar- a big like marketing job after that. Gotcha. She hated it. She hated basically her entire career after teaching. Just because <laughs> she, what, she had to go corporate kind of? Yeah. Well, also like, yeah, just, I guess at the time in the eighties in like the suburbs, she had a lot of bosses that didn't respect her because she was a woman. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, and they were all like, you know, they were all much stupider than she was. And so right. she had to constantly get crap from guys who didn't know what they were talking about. That is some horribly frustrating shit. Yeah. Um, what, now, how was it met for you, like coming from academics to, mm-hmm. you know, obviously you went to school. I mean, that's where I met you and where yeah. Thursday began and all that. But right. you obviously made a turn to deny any more academic activities and. Well, no, we all dropped you, out before we graduated. So, right. Yeah. So, so <laughs> how was that uh, like received when you, when you all decided to, cause all the other guys were in art school, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how was that received by your folks when you took that pivot? They were, I mean, they were pretty good about it to be <laughs> honest. Um, and I think it started like the kind of like, it started before they wanted me to go to Brown and be like a legacy. They're like, you know, mm. we could probably get you in there like for nothing because you're, you know, the next in line. And they love that stuff, especially right. since we met here, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, I want to, I want to go to state school. You know, I want to go to Rutgers. I just want to, you know, I've got other stuff that I want to do that has nothing to do with what you guys want for me. So I think right. that's kind of when I fought that battle a little bit with them. And then by the time I, I quote unquote took a year off to do touring, <laughs> right? they were like, sure, have fun for a year. And then, and then it was kind of like, it started working out. You know, and yeah. they were like pretty excited for me. How much of that year to you was open ended, or did you actually just make your mind and say it was a year? It was 
so for like the first six months after full collapse came out, like nobody cared at all at all. Yeah. You know, it was like, uh-huh. if anything, we went from playing basements to like 30 people to like, now we're going to 10, you know, now we're going to seven people. Now there's yeah. like two people in a kitchen. Right. Um, so it was pretty, it was looking pretty much like everybody was like, well, we're going to have to do something else. You know what I mean? Like this is yeah, certainly right. like, this has been great sort of, you know, <laughs> yeah, like maybe, been all right, guys. Yeah. maybe not, <laughs> yeah. but, um, you know, and then, and then it was like a weird, like right at the the buzzer, basically like right before the year was up, we took a tour with Saves the Day. Uh, and it just, it just sort of changed everything where by the end of the tour, we were getting like, like the crowd was asking for encores from us and stuff where it's just, you know what I mean? It was like shocking. Like it went from nothing happening to like all of a sudden we started catching on, which yeah. was great. And yeah, weird. yeah, yeah. And, and there you are, you're not at Brown wearing an ascot and smoking a pipe no. <laughs> sitting at a cafe working on your fifth novel. If you, if you were a novelist, uh-huh. what kind of, what would you be writing? What kind of stuff? Uh, probably if I had started back then, it undoubtedly would have been like postmodernism stuff. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I fell in love with in school. You know, like okay. when I read white noise and underworld and like, just kind of like the Don Delillo's of the world and stuff like that. It really like, um, it really did something to me and I got really into that kind of stuff. What are your uh, favorite kinds of books these days? I, I, I mean, I still like Don Delillo. I read his new one, but I really, um, I kind of read everything that anyone uh, recommends to me. I'll just go for it. But yeah, I just right. read a really great book that I thought was going to, I thought it was going to be like my holiday book that would stretch me through because it was a long one. But, mm-hmm. um, but it was so good that I finished it in like a week. It's called A Naked Singularity. Mm, and it's name. written, yeah, it's a great, great name. And it's written uh, from the point of view of a public defender in the New York carceral system. Interesting. And how uh, horrifying it is to watch, you know, um, like 60 year old Chinese men get picked up for selling batteries on the train and not have the bail to get out. So spend like 30 to 60 days awaiting trial for, you know, for selling batteries on the train, you know, and like getting beat up in jail, you know, all these things. It's like, if he had like, you know, whatever, a few hundred dollars on him, he would have come back and gotten a slap on the wrist, but now he's like been in jail and gotten beat up and all this stuff, you know, just that kind of stuff. It's really, it's really upsetting. And, it was so specific that afterwards I had to look it up and it looked like he did have, you know, a, a former career as a public defender. So it was like fiction, not so much. Yeah, it was like fiction, but like, you know, I'll change some names and these are all stories that I actually saw happen. Yeah, those are the worst kinds. I'm going <laughs> through that right now with a Richard Powers book. I love Richard Powers. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. so I'm reading yeah. the new one. Uh, what was it called? The Overstory? That's I think that's one of the best books I've, yeah, I've read in the last five years. Yeah. So yeah, so you've read it. I, you know, I'm mm-hmm. I think three chapters into this book, and each chapter has just ripped my fucking heart out. Yeah. Um, and you know, my whole way of reading books is like I like to I like to have a fiction and a nonfiction enfold at the same time, and uh-huh. based on my mood and how I'm feeling, is if mm-hmm. I can stomach the nonfiction or the fiction or you know. Mm-hmm. And this one was supposed to be my fun fiction. And it's oh, fucking yeah. up my whole flow because the stories, like like the book you were just talking about, you know, the stories uh, 
are so rooted in an actual reality uh-huh. where it's so real. Um, and, you know, watching the environmental thing play out, it's just a little too real. I think I'm going to try to find like the Anchorman manuscript or something like that to balance <laughs> it out, you know? <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, don't give up on that one because when it finished, I gave it to my partner and she read it. And now we go. We go to parks and like look up which trees are which, yes. and we like we touch them and talk to them and yes. like you know what I mean we've really become like literal tree huggers since then. She has an app that'll tell you what each tree is on the streets of New York City, so she'll oh walk by and she'll be like, that, "That one's a London plane tree. That one's a this kind of tree." That oh, I need that. Yeah. So Jeff, I just moved to the woods, so this is all oh, like incredible. extremely apropos <laughs> right now. <laughs> yes, the woods, i.e. The suburbs with trees. Hey, listen, Lower East Side. Dude, that sounds incredible. You've been right in now. New York so long, you can't talk yeah, shit anymore. I'm jealous. Okay, the little twelve-year-old kid from Maine <laughs> who is skipping chestnuts in the frozen lake. All right, he doesn't exist anymore, Brad. All right, you're just a hip city dad now. Uh, I'm je- That's I'm it. jealous. I want a basement with, with yeah. rich, famous people who go to your kid's school. <laughs> so, Brad, when you like pull over. Uh, on the side of the road and see the median you're like look at all that country <laughs> countryside rolling hills of countryside dude i was back in the day when i was used to ride motorcycles i remember i went up the uh the taconic parkway mm. and got mm-hmm. like Very nice. got about 45 minutes outside of the city and there's a state trooper pulled over in the median you know like where it's about maybe i don't know 50 feet wide like just shaking his head at this entire family <laughs> of let's call them downtown New Yorkers, <laughs> Lower East Side New Yorkers, who had basically got in their minivan and got that far and saw that patch of grass and was like, this is a great place for a picnic. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's yes. exactly, yeah, that exact thing I witnessed. Your, your oh, joke like was my reality. Yeah, that's real. That's real. I've done that on tour. Have you ever done that on tour, Jeff, where you've been on like such a long trip and it sucks so bad and and like mm-hmm. you stop? There's been a couple times I've rolled out of a van or a bus and found a warm green patch of grass and just laid in it. Like yeah. like immediately after oh, leaving. Yeah. It was like it's like when you're, you know, stricken at sea and you find land, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've done that. We definitely did that when we would like go through Texas and finally see grass again when we got out the other side, you know, be like, oh, grass, thank you. You know, like <laughs> it's not arid desert that like if we stop here, we're probably all going to die. Yeah, right. It sometimes feels that way because Texas is so much bigger than you even realize oh, when you look at a map. Right. It's terrifying. You know? When you when you hit that part in, uh, was it all the way in East Texas when you enter and the sign says like El Paso, nine hundred forty miles, <laughs> right? Or something like that. It's like, wait, what? You're like, it's seriously like thirteen hours from now. That's like, like Europe. That's Europe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we just crossed all of it. <laughs> yeah, See ya. exactly. Europe. So before we get too far away from the poetry thing, uh, not poetry or just the literature thing, like sure. you know, I, I hadn't really conceived it at the time, probably because I was just you know more young and lunkheaded, but. You know, when I see, you know, uh, Thursday lyrics and some of the presentation, I kind of I, I see a little more of a literary feel and a kind of poetic feel mm. to it now that I didn't really notice when I was younger. Was that something you were like intentionally doing and were you intentionally trying to like 
put that into the kind of hardcore archetype? Well, you're opening a real can of worms here, Benny. Mm, um, I like worms. Yeah, actually, actually, I very much. Yeah, worms are so delicious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it is very conscious. It was actually um, my honors thesis. So, like, we dropped out of of college, but like in the last semester. So I had already done my honors thesis and wow. stuff like that. Holy shit. And, um, and it was, it was about, um, narrative techniques in lyrics hmm. being like approached from a, a postmodern point of view. Oh, wow. So, um, it was very intentional and like my thesis itself actually turned into what the lyrics to full collapse were. No shit. Um, yeah. So, Actually, so my advisor, my thesis advisor, is a somewhat famous poet who just passed away uh, just two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miguel Aldrin. He's a brilliant, a brilliant man. He started the New Yorkian Poets Cafe, and he was like a part of a lot of, um, you know, young writers' journeys. and uh, And I really like feel like I owe a lot to him and the way he made me think about, you know, what it what it meant to write and what it meant to try and express yourself and stuff like that. So yeah, it was, it was very intentional that I was trying to uh, do a bunch of stuff with Thursday lyrics in the early days. Yeah. And then you were putting it into like heavy music. Was, was that also a thing you were trying to do? Like, can I, can I actually mix these two things and make it, make it actually happen? Um, you know, I wasn't super self-conscious about the heavy music part of it. Okay. I, I always thought that, um, that the hardcore scene that we came from was kind of like, um, you can do anything here. That's, that's one yeah. of the things that like, mm-hmm. when we would go to shows and it would be like Rainer Maria and Converge, <laughs> right. like to me, that meant yeah. like, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, it's not, yeah, yeah. It, there's no rules here. Like there's no, like, you know, it doesn't have to be a purist kind of thing was always something that I inherently believed in. And I think that like being from New Brunswick and, and those basement shows that we were all a part of, that was like a big reason why I thought like hardcore is this other thing. It's about the community. It has nothing mm. to do with whether you're heavy or you can mosh to it or not. It doesn't matter. Sure. Wasn't it you know, amazing? Maybe naively. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I had that same realization kind of getting out of New Brunswick where I, I realized I didn't realize till I left how kind of special what was happening was, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh I, I kind of in my head thought every city everywhere had this thing going on, you know, like a collection of people and basements and bands. And, and like you said, for the most part, you know, there were things here and there, but for the most part, super supportive, uh, bands being supportive of each other. And I don't know if you could call it promoters. It was usually, guy in band like me or you or something you know there were a couple gems who like didn't play in bands but still wanted to do shows well you had one in your house right you had the almighty clay weirs yeah clay a podcast on on clay in itself i don't even know where that guy is these days i think he's in the middle east right yeah i was gonna say if you know you're not allowed to talk about it is the rule no i gotta (laughs) i I don't care anymore because i don't think it matters but i literally got uh you know, he lived in my house. Wait, he lived in your house too. Did you get a call? Yeah. You did. Yeah, I did too. I did. Yeah. 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 So we both, wow. Well, it's good to know the government actually does something, right? Huh? I know, right? Some background (laughs) checks. But although like, I feel like if they talked to me and listened to what I said, they added like four other background calls to it because like I, 
didn't have any thoughts of like what I should or shouldn't say. I was just kind of like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. He's kind of like reactionary or something. You know what I mean? I would just say like, whatever, whatever came to my mind. Like sometimes he gets really angry and sort of screams in a half German accent. Is, is that cool? Or? Right, right. Right. Like whatever. It's like, don't call that guy. You know, it's yeah. like probably why they, they called me as he was probably like, yeah, don't bother with him. So just for the lack of confusion, if there's people listening who are confused, Jeff and I both lived with a person in different houses who wound up being a, a part of the federal government. And mm-hmm. we both received calls. In a sensitive area. In a yeah. sensitive area, yeah. That uh, that had background checks and whatnot. Yeah, I, I don't even remember what I said. It was short, though. It was like, <laughs> did he live there? Yes. I'm like, are you guys actually calling about the weed that's in my house? Because that's what I'm nervous about right now. <laughs> and you remember that house, Jeff, the crazy oh, house that yeah. lived in Highland Park. You showed yeah. up there a few times. Um, oh, yeah. Some good times there. Yeah, yeah, we all did. But all right. So this is what I want to know now. Mm-hmm. You wake up. You're, you're, how long have you been sober now? A couple years? Three years? Or even yeah, longer. I just celebrated three years. Yeah, fuck yeah, that's awesome. Congratulations, first off. Thank you. Extremely yeah. happy for you. Um, Thank you. Me too. Life is so much better. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I want to talk about it because you know it's something I know I myself suffer with, and a lot of people who listen do. And mm-hmm. I, I heard you mention that you know what you find most important, especially through the pandemic, is having like a sense of routine. And Absolutely. That the. Uh, the empty space and the empty time are like the times when you could, you know, slip or something like that, or have the feeling like you could slip. I'm sure you're farther away from that now. Um, so what, what's like, like, take me through a morning. Like, what are you mm-hmm. doing? What do you do? <laughs> I'm coffee, so like, breakfast. I want deets. Yeah. Too. Yeah. I want yeah. Deets. Yeah. So like I wake up pretty early, you know, five thirty, six 6 a.m. every wow. day. Um, and I have a very extremely ritualized, you know, coffee routines, like okay. pour overs. I have like burr grinders and like, I'm really into it. And it's because it's like one of the few drugs that I'm allowed left to have, you know, sure. it's caffeine. Right. So like, I'm very into the, into the like ritualized aspect of yes. like, here it comes, you know, like the longer the routine takes, the more I can anticipate that huh. little bit of buzz you get from caffeine. You sure, know? sure, sure. Um, That's which, you know, as like you know, I don't know the different levels of, you know, drinking or whatever, but, um, that, that any, that either of you, uh, are in, but for me as a hardcore drug addict, the anticipation is super intense. And they've done a lot of Mm. like studies on the human brain that actually, um, your brain releases a small amount of the the dopamine and serotonin that you get from doing drugs when you think about doing drugs. Yeah. So like that is a very real hit that you yes. get when you're like preparing. Sure. Um, so you think you almost like trick your brain when you're doing the coffee thing into kind of having that feeling? Yeah. Like, and, and, and it's like subtle, you know, so yeah. it starts to build and I'm like, yes, yes, yes. But I remember like there were times when I'd be in the craziest withdrawal in my life and I'd finally get a hold of my drug dealer and he'd be like, meet me in 15 minutes and the withdrawal would go away. Yes. Yeah. It was like, oh, I'm okay. Yeah, I know exactly. Um, what you're talking. It always makes me think of the end of Requiem for a Dream. Which totally, is that really totally. powerful part where Jennifer Connelly, you know, goes ass to ass in front of all uh-huh. these rich guys and gets her hair and she doesn't do it. She just brings right. it home, 
lays down on the couch with it, just knowing it's there is enough, you know? Right. Yeah. Just having it, the security. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, powerful. All right. So you do the, uh, <laughs> as close, as close to drug coffee as you can. <laughs> yeah. So I make that and right. then I like, I do stretches and stuff. And if it's one of the mornings when I work out, then I work out. Mm-hmm. And the, the main thing that I'm watching for is, um, there, you know, in Brooklyn here, there's a, like a pretty big contingent of stray cats. And one of the stray cats in the neighborhood is like, is my best friend's stray cat. And she comes like oh. two, three times a day to eat. Okay. So I watch for her little face at what we call our takeout window. And, um, and when she shows up, I like really, you know, I get really excited and I, I get a can of food and I put, you know, a bunch of treats around it and stuff. And then I go bring it to her. And what's her name? um, Lola. Lola. Good. Yeah. She's the best. Um, there's like going to be like 10 people who hear this that are like, Oh, we know Lola. She's the best. (laughs) Um, So she'll have an Instagram soon. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Right. Um, she's definitely like the mom of a bunch of the bodega cats in, in Greenpoint. But, um, so anyway, then, uh, then I, then I'll start, you know, I'll start writing or I'll start, um, you know, I'll start one of the, uh, creative endeavors that I'm a, a part of, whether it's music or I do some pre-production and vocal coaching of younger artists and stuff like that. So oh, I'll take cool. it out and I'll start working on it. I try to get like a lot of the work done before noon. That's like when my mind is at its best. Okay. Um, then around noon, uh, that's when my sponsees start calling me. So I sponsor a couple guys in oh, the program okay. Yeah. and they'll check in around then and I'll like kind of catch up with them and see where they're at and try and help them out. And, um, and then the afternoon, I try and devote a little more to like what I would call like like service type things, where it's like maybe I'm doing something around the house, or I'm checking with somebody else what they need from me, or I'm like you know the kind of uh, the work that goes on with my band that's like not the fun part, not the creative part. Right, right. Um, oh, like three thirty time to do a podcast, that kind of vibe. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know. Like the stuff that I'm like, oh, I hate yeah. this guy. Oh, Why do I have to talk to Benny? <laughs> I wish. I wish. I wish I was like doing like lots of stuff with people that I didn't like. But you know, you know how it is. Like eventually you're long <laughs> enough into the into the band that like, you know, it's mostly the people that like you like that you actually still talk to. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, mm-hmm. you kind of got it thinned out by now. Yeah. The yeah. people that I don't like, like they don't like me. And also like Thursday's not such a huge cultural force now that they have to talk to oh, me. Oh, right. So they you don't know? have to pretend to like you anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, oh, that's kind of, it sounds actually kind of freeing. Like it may, it's I'm, nice. I, yeah, I've gotten to make that delineation the last few years too. You know, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, there's a turn, there's a turning point where uh-huh. you're like, not on everybody's lips anymore. And yeah. like, you start to realize like, Oh, you didn't like me back. Exactly. Then. You just had, yeah. I'm like, Oh, a lot less people checking in, huh? There's no, no tours to put someone on. I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, you no. t- how important, I know, you know, uh, some people in my family without getting too specific, uh, sure. you know, struggled with mental health and, and mm-hmm. they found an avenue through education, um, oh, wow. you know, yeah. of uh, getting into education and almost taking on other people's problems. Helped, oh wow! You know, you know, uh, bring theirs. Do you, do you find that with actually being a sponsor now? Like, are you fueled at all by the ability to like help other people and not allowing you to get out of your own head a little? Well, I think it's interesting when you say like taking on somebody else's stuff. Like, 
that's actually, I think one of the things that uh, being a sponsor is like so good for, because now I also like once a week, we'll go to like an Al-Anon meeting and try Mm. and realize that like, I will totally like push off my own problems by by like inhabiting and getting too involved in yes, other people's problems. Right, yeah. My boundaries are like non-existent. So sure. like sponsoring guys, like I've had to work on not letting <laughs> myself get caught up, mm. you know, because I will. And so that's been good practice for like, you know, all the kinds of relationships that I generally like. If there's like a, you know, a problem in the band where somebody's right. having a hard time, like getting so emotionally involved with what they're going to do and getting so mad at them if they don't do what I want to do now or I can just be like, well, you're going to do what you're going to do, man. Like I can tell you what my opinion is, but also like, I don't really know. So, you know, this is my like third party opinion and I know you're going to do what you got to do. And I love you no matter what, and that's not going to change, but also maybe I won't be able to pick up every call if you don't, you know, if you don't handle (laughs) this the right way. So like, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. 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 But a little less like life or death when it comes down to it. Right. Like you're going to do what you're going to do. And I'm going to tell you that like, if you do this thing, like I may not be able to be there for you through it. Right. But I love you. Yeah. yeah, It's like a new thing for me. That's cool. (laughs) Sounds empowering. I I mean, I was going to ask about that because I've seen, you know, there's a difference between the way, you know, um, a listening audience views a vocalist and views other people in the band. You know, I've seen this delineation and it's not something I get offended by. It's about the lyrics the person mm-hmm. delivering the lyrics uh, puts a connection in that just doesn't exist otherwise. And I've seen people with Brian from Gaslight, mm-hmm. you know, he'll come outside after something and all of a sudden he's two or three stories into like the worst fucking stories I've ever heard. You know what I mean? Like, like really awful shit that sure. other people are going through. And sure, I was imagining that and I was imagining with you, it could be yeah. like times 10 because you're such an open guy. Your yeah. heart and your story has been so far out there, especially with your depression and the addiction and people uh-huh. have such a deep connection to Thursday. Does that happen to you? Are you often like giving these very heavy tales of other people's pain? And, and how do you, how can you reconcile that? Like personally? Well, I do think that our audience has gotten older for the most part Mm. and it's gotten easier because people have worked through some of their stuff and realized boundaries more than they used to. But yeah, there was a time when it was extremely heavy. Yeah. And in the early days, I was very much like, you know, I was always trying to figure out what it meant to me to not sell out. And like one of my big things, you know, was like, look, there shouldn't be any delineation between Mm. like bands and audience. It should Mm -hmm. just be like a community and that was something I took like very seriously. And I, you know, when I first started getting asked to sign autographs, I had a really hard time with it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and so what I did was I brought a journal with me and asked people to sign the book, you know, sign, sign my book, write me a note, I'll write you a note, you know, That's sweet. we'll stay in touch or whatever. Yeah, right, right. And at some point it was like, okay, you know, like at the height of Thursday's career, we're selling out like three to 5,000 seers. Yeah. And that's like, you can't do that no, without many people. No, who's got time for that? Yeah. And you can't do that with like a couple hundred people right, tonight either, yeah. because like you know how it is when you're on when you're on tour in the middle of being successful, they keep you on tour nonstop. Right. You know you got to make hay while the sun is shining, as they say. Sure. Right. Yeah, yeah. And like that doesn't last forever, so you try and make the most of it. That's right. And like, man, it was getting me down because yeah. people were giving me very sincere stories that 
I wanted to talk to them and I wanted to like absorb it and have something useful to say, even just to lend like a lend an ear, yeah, you know, just yeah. to say, I understand. I don't know what to tell you, but I get it. That, that hurts. Yeah. And you can't always, and it started to really get to me. Right. You know what I mean? Like, because I found myself having to say like, not tonight, I can't talk to anybody because it was so painful. Yeah. Cause some nights you personally can't take all that on. Right. Yeah. And then I'm saying, ah, oh, shit, like, Maybe some of these guys that came before me that I thought were rock star assholes, like putting on the sunglasses and walking through the back door <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> are just can't do it. It's like yeah. too emotionally taxing and right. they're not just jerks. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of them probably were like the eighties yeah. were not that far removed no, from like no, us, no. you know, but well, yeah, I mean, it's tricky. Cause and then some people, you know, with you, this is a very honest and real concern and something that weighed on you, but then other people can, take the same concern and use it to not talk to anybody. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I think even I did, you know what I mean? Like mm. sometimes I would just be like, no, tonight I want to go out drinking with my friends. Like fuck everybody, right. let them wait in line. You right. know what I mean? Like, yeah. and that's like, so yeah, everybody can take advantage of that. And like, I've been a jerk to fans, like for sure. sure. That's one part about being a drummer. I love, you know, it really is <laughs> like I come out back and people are like, Oh, Benny, What's up, man? <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, yeah, what's awesome. going on? You know, you cool? Like, yeah, what, what's going on? Uh, how are the Kansas City Royals doing? You know, and then before I know it, I'm fine. And then I'd see like Brian walk out and people are just like, <gasps> and it's yeah. just this whole different feel. And I, I would look at it and it never made me jealous because I'm like, Jesus Christ, I don't want that. Like, right. I can't, I can't handle that. Uh, yeah. And Brian, like, you know, maybe he wasn't always as like open and direct, but I do think that there's a different thing, which is that there's like sort of a mythology around him mm-hmm. that like, hey, he's a person, you know what I mean? Like whatever yeah. you're romanticizing leads you to think about him. Like he's also just a guy that wants to go eat his food after the show. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of eventually I think the people who like the band respected sort of the simplicity in the way he wanted to live because it's consistent. You know what I mean? You know, guys that come from where Brian comes from and the experience he had, you know what I mean? That's the way they handle their evening. Like, and yeah, you know, if you want authenticity, that's authentic, you know? Yeah. All right. So I want to take a little, a little turn here, Brad. (laughs) Yeah. Brad, are you queued up? Are you queued up and ready, friend? I think I'm queued up. Uh oh. Okay. So, Jeff, this is a new a new segment of the show called Mystery Question. Oh. Where we get a uh, friend or enemy of the past. Who knows? <laughs> nice. To keep you on your toes, and they <laughs> submit a question to us via audio. Brad, okay. drop it on. Come on. Hey, Jeff, it's Jonah. I hope you're doing well. Benny texted me earlier today asking me to submit a mystery question for you for this podcast. And I was sort of thinking back to how long we've known each other, which is almost 20 years at this point, which is totally wild. And in the early 2000s, (laughs) around the time we met, I was in a band called The Love Kill from Cleveland, who you actually signed to your Eyeball Records imprint Astromagnetics way before United Nations. So my mystery question for you today is in 30 seconds, how many bands from the Astromagnetics roster can you name? And Benny, I'd like you to time this. Jeff, this is probably not something you think about very often. So good luck. And yeah, Brad, Benny, Jeff, I hope you're all doing well and take care. 
That is so dark, man. Well, he had to put a time limit on it. Clearly not an enemy. Man. Friend man. of you, friend of the program, the much beloved Jonah Bayer chiming in. Jonah Bayer's the best. You tell me. I got my stopwatch up right now. You tell me when you're I'm ready. I'm so bad with names. <laughs> I'm so bad with names. This is... This is gonna kill me, man. This is like, um, are you, are you, are people gonna be insulted by the end of this? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Good. Good. This is the juicy stuff I want, Jeff. So many people have podcasts, man. I need juice, you know? Okay. I need okay. juicy okay. meat. All right. Tell me when okay. to start. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, start. Go ahead. Start. Okay. We're gone. Well, so we got the love kills Jonah, right? Yeah. Then uh, probably next easiest for me is the Blackout Pact. Yep. I produced their record. Remember Love them. those guys. Kiss Kiss because they're uh-huh. absolute friggin' maniacs. The Valley Arena because I think they're probably my favorite of those bands. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, Secret Lives of the Freemasons were yeah, probably uh-huh, the uh-huh. most popular band out of all those. And um, there's definitely more. Three, um, two, one. We're done. Bomber. 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 All right, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. All right, that's six. Six and 30 seconds. That's good, Jeff. Not bad. Not bad at all. No, it's bad. You know why it's bad? Why? Who did you forget? Because it's going to be like, oh, you only forgot one or you only forgot two. You know what I mean? Then it's like, great. Thanks a lot. It's going to be the people. I'm sure your fucking mixtape (laughs) show is doing that already because someone's like, you know what, Jeff? I would have been perfect for that fucking mixtape. Did you forget about us? So. That's awesome. But you have this long history of uh, getting into the other side of things. Um, yeah. You know, like almost yeah. almost from the get, like you, uh, you know, you were, you know, getting behind the scenes, producing, signing bands, like, you know, and then obviously kind of culminated with, you know, the collect records thing and hasn't really, yeah. you know, progress since right was that the well, death people of are you always trying like, to do that yeah people are always like you're gonna do another label you're too good at it you found too many great bands it's like dude you go through what i went through with collect records and want to do it again yeah. yeah 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 you know what i mean like you go through a scan you build up like what you think is going to be like the best label put your heart and soul to it don't sleep like run yourself ragged like and then have it like collapse in a way where everybody's like I always knew Jeff was a bad guy. Like, like I knew he, he'd be involved with bad people. And you know what I mean? Like having yeah. literally the controversy be like, not just a big story, but like literally maybe the biggest story of the year. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and I knew it was the biggest story of the year because I put out a record called no, a band called no devotion. It was my band. Right. Yeah. And we were leaving for tour. The record was coming out. That was the week that it all happened. That was the week that Martin's controversy happened. Right. And I was getting on a plane when it was happening. And when I got off the plane, before I opened my phone to check and see what was happening, I was standing in customs online, you know, where they don't let you take out your phone yet? German customs. Yeah, right, right. And it was all over the German news. No. Oh, so you were seeing on the TV? And I was like, in Germany, it's a story. Like, Oh. oh, man. This is so bad, you know. Now, I I didn't follow it too closely, but you you met that yeah. guy a bunch of times, right? Yeah, yeah, and you know we're closely involved. Like, you, I mean, we weren't like that closely sure, working on the sure, label sure. together, but like, yeah, I knew him. Like, I had dinner and lunch with him, and like, oh yeah, I had 
talked to him a bunch of times and like and, considered and, him a friend probably I guess I would say. And is and is it one of those situations where what happened like did you have any inclination like you've met a lot of people you yeah. you've been in like you know you've been in the drug world you know not as a seller but <laughs> someone who has to I know how it is, man. Negotiate. Yeah. yeah. If you want to do drugs, you got to deal with a bunch of fucking sketchy people. Um, Yeah. And, and, you know, so you, it's not like you were green going into this, like a fairly well seasoned Mm. guy. And did, there wasn't any indication to you that something was like a foot. Like, was he that like sociopathic (laughs) that like, cause the great sociopaths are the ones who like have everyone fooled. Right. I don't know, man. I don't know. It's something I've thought about a lot, you know, and I think that. So what I'd say first is my greatest sin that I've made over and over again as a musician Mm -hmm. is thinking that like I am smart enough or have enough experience that I won't be the one to get fooled Mm -hmm. constantly, you know, like going into like stuff with victory, going to stuff with like a major label, going into stuff Mm -hmm. here, there, the other, like, I've always said, well, we're smart guys. Like we won't make that mistake. And then it's like, boom, you make the exact same mistake of being like, they really like us and they're not going to do anything to hurt us. And, but you know, like, Mm. you know, that just sort of like not seeing yourself and your own limitations clearly enough, I think is a repeat. And I'd say with being able to read somebody like, you know, Martin was very sincere and he, I, I do believe that he very much wanted to help a bunch of bands out. He's a, a fan of music. You know, that's something that's been a butt of a joke many times when talking about him is like how much, you know, he stands certain bands and stuff. And right, right. I do think probably he was sincere about wanting to help all the bands. And also like, you know, so when somebody's trying to help you out and give you money, you're already prone to see the best in them. And also, like, the kind of later on, like, supervillain persona that people know him by yeah, is not something that I saw um, in my personal interactions with him. And so when I was in, like, boardrooms and stuff with him being like, you should give me $250,000 to give to this band or to buy all my band's vans or to, (laughs) you know, like, these crazy ideas that I would have, like, yeah, well, we're going to make contracts where uh, they can take their records and masters back anytime they want if they're not happy and like trying to convince them that that was like a, a normal thing that happened in record <laughs> right. labels, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, and he would kind of be very shy and sort of, um, you know, nerdy, I right. guess is probably the best way to say it. Um, so the so, idea so like, pretty honest, did you know he was a bad guy? Did yeah. you know? It's like, I don't know, man. Like I just thought like, ah. Uh, how's this guy a CEO? Like he seems so unsure of certain things, <laughs> right. you know, but very smart, very sure. You know, he would, he would do projections and calculations in his heads about like how much something would cost year over year with an incredible, like he would just, you know what I mean? He would just say it out loud and I'd mm. hear him going through it and I'd lose track of what he was talking about. Both my parents are very smart people and I just would lose track of his, but I know he was right. I could tell he was like, knew what he was talking about. Yeah, and, um, yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, did I see signs of him being sociopath? I, no, no, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't see it. And my mom, sometimes when I tell her, I think, you know, I have some great idea. She's like, well, do remember that like a week before things happened with Martin, you told me like, 
I really think he's one of the good ones. I know he owns a pharmaceutical company, but I think he really cares about people. Like I had said that to my mom like the week before this happened. So like, and yeah, she calls you out I'll, on that, huh? She oh, she loves it. Whenever <laughs> I have like a bad idea, wow. and I'm like, no, nah, ma, you don't know what you're talking about. She's like, well. Yeah, but Jeff, you know, you're not it's alone. Tough, but I respect it. It's tough. you're not alone with that, Jeff. I mean, when that thing went yeah, that down, there was a lot of people, very yeah, respectable people, who kind of came to his defense and turn. At least, you know, initially. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's you know that vouched for sort of his like good nature. You know. Mm. I don't. I, don't well, think I mean. Can, you know, yeah. It's, well, now it's, you're getting at some very like fundamental stuff about what we you know, what do we know about people, yeah, right? Like, right. are they monsters or do they decide to start going down a bad path and making bad decisions? Or like, you know what I mean? Like, what is it like? And that's something I've debated with people that I'm close to a lot. Like, you know, are there such a thing as like inherently evil people? Mm-hmm. And this is, forget Martin, forget, uh, I yeah. don't even want to introduce that with him. Sure. But in general, like, you know, or do you decide to make a wrong decision that you know is not right and stick to it like where you have, it's like, you know, they say a hill to die on. Right. Like, can that come to, can one of those decisions come to define your personality? I think they can. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, to brush it in a broad stroke of just like evil versus good, mm-hmm. that, that's, you know, a little false, right? Because mm-hmm. um, it's just too big, right? <laughs> it's too big. Mm-hmm. I hope And there's so. too much gray area in there. <laughs> but the idea... That you could be morally sound or morally unsound. I mm-hmm. mean, I guess, of course, this depends on, you know, your objective version of what morals are and morality. But, you know, something that I've experienced through life that's been a great frustration to me is like, I have a really, really, really high standard for myself of how uh-huh. you should treat other people and what you uh-huh. should do and a level of honesty that's almost crippling to myself sometimes but it's there and sometimes i'll come across someone who does something completely the opposite and i do realize that they did something i am absolutely incapable of and that Mm -hmm. exists you know there is a delineation like it's like the evil is always there right it's always waiting Mm -hmm. for anybody who wants it and some people do make a choice that it's okay to use it and some people will never use it, you know? So mm-hmm. so I don't know if that's like some abject a, version of evil versus good. Mm-hmm. But I do think there is like a... Um, I do think there's a like not a gray area with that. I do think there's a pretty strong line. Sure. What do you think? Well, I think... Well, yeah. Okay. I I also think that there is like people who are willing to do something bad, does that make them bad people? I certainly Mm -hmm. did a lot of bad things when I was addicted to drugs. Like I, I stole money. I lied all the time. I lied about where I was, where I was going, Mm -hmm. what I was doing, who I was with constantly. Yeah. I made promises that I didn't keep. Right. I, you know, I skimped on work that I was supposed to be doing. I, you know, all that kind of stuff, like objectively bad things. And being in a, a an anonymous program that, you know, encourages people to reform and, and you know, start again and, and sort of like change their lives. I see a lot of people who've done a lot of really, really bad things. Sure. And have managed to turn around where I'm like, I think this person's a good person. 
And I think they've redeemed, I, I mean, it's not up to me whether they've redeemed themselves, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, but I do think that I will see them as they are now and knowing that they've done evil things, be like, I like this guy and I think he's a good guy. And I think he has really strong principles and beliefs. And at this point, there's nothing worth breaking that for mm. because he's like regained some humanity. So that kind of perspective, it definitely complicates things for me. Right. You know, because then that, you know, because if, if, if you have that perspective, then you need to leave the path to redemption open for everyone. Right. For everyone. Everyone. Yeah. Um, and that's a hard. But I also swallow, think that yeah. I also think that when you when you take this past the personal Right. Yeah. And you put it into the room, the realm of the social sphere, the political arena Mm. and kind of like society at large. There are these two kind of factions almost. There's like a faction that's like cancel them because they're wrong and they've done something wrong. Yeah. And then there's a faction that maybe says like you shouldn't cancel anyone. Free speech, yada, yada, whatever, (laughs) whatever. Right. And I do think that like that you can use the redemption narrative to actually not to make it so that doing bad things isn't even bad. Mm, you know what I mean? So? Like, oh, sure. Well, so it's like, oh, you want to cancel him for this. You know, that's just like you. It's like, well, you know, oh, right. rape, rape is wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And like, there should be consequence for X, Y, and yeah, Z. Like, slow down here. I'm not wrong for canceling this person for rape. The rape is wrong. The rape is wrong, right? right. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and like, there is no oh, everybody more, you know, moral relativity. Right. Everybody's right, right, bad right. if you say they're bad. It's like no, there are things yeah. that we should say. No, this is no, this is not acceptable. And you know what? People shouldn't be getting away with this. Yeah, this is like become a real problem. And then on the other side of things, there's also like, yeah, if somebody goes to jail for twenty years, comes out and tries to make good on a debt to society, like. Do we support them? Do we get them their rights back? Do we get them the ability to vote back? Do we help them find jobs? Do we help them find housing? Like, I am a big believer that yes, we do. But it's like so complicated when you bring it into the social and political realm because it's almost a, in some ways, it's a symbolic fight about what you believe in and which side you're on. Right. And, you know, that, that makes things way more complicated. When, so, yeah. I know I took us really, like, talk about going off track. I took us way down one road, but. Oh, Jeff, that's um, the point, my friend. <laughs> Listen, we know each other. You know, I'm not interested in like, oh, uh, how did you come up with the guitar part for, you know what I mean? Like, you know, we're not fucking going there, man. <laughs> good but, versus evil. That's a good, you know. Yeah. Well, road. it's, I mean, but in reality, I mean, it's, you know, we're in such a, you know, a, like in the last couple of years, I've seen people canceled who I went, yeah, okay. Yeah. That's awful. Yeah. Bye. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. See you what later. The hell? Like, yeah. cool. Like, no interest. You're gone. You're out of my narrative. But then there's other people I've been, eh, you know, like, I don't know if yeah. this person actually owned up to it and I believed it and wanted to move on with life, then maybe I would. And then, but yeah. then there's a whole other thing you talk about with social and, and the media that, that makes it sad is like, take an issue like Kobe Bryant, mm-hmm. you know. He he died in this sudden way with um you know, and I'm a Kobe guy. Like I'm not I'm not gonna go crazy here. Kobe. Kobe, <laughs> you know, totally changed the narrative for a lot of things. But one of the fascinating things about his death and watching it play out was the trial in which he's 
admitted that he sexually assaulted a woman and paid off. And the reason you don't know the exact details is because they settled it and because clearly Mm -hmm. something happened. He was with his wife when it happened. And the fact that Kobe went out and won a championship the year after for a city that loved him, then he never played for another city. And then years after just kept doing different things and randomly happened to have four daughters, you know, and became this like amazing daughter, dad and everything like that. Uh uh He passed uh away and literally no one even fucking mentioned it. You know what I mean? Like the fact that this happened and I'm not going to say, I'm not trying to drag Kobe Bryant through the mud. That's not the point of uh, this illustration. It's more that I could easily see another 10 basketball players who weren't nearly as successful or didn't, you know, shape their uh, narrative so cleverly when they were out of the NBA that that's all people would talk about. And no matter Mm. what they did on the court, the only thing that people would talk about is the fact that this happened to you in Denver. So it was like a really fascinating thing to watch about, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. what people decide to be furious about and why. Um, And sometimes it really does feel self-serving. You know, it's like, I want to be furious when, it's somebody I want to be furious against. But if it's one of my people, yeah, you know, I'll let them slide. Right. And the thing is too, is like, yeah, it, it's like, you're either gonna, I don't, yeah. One of the things that I've really struggled with recently now that I've like really tried to start making amends for like my past uh, wrongs mm-hmm. and, I've really tried to, um, you know, live by a set of principles that are more important to me than what comes from like my work and, you know, money and, you know, the results basically can no longer be as important to me as like the, the, um, the, you know, this, this sort of standards that I live my life by like, Mm. uh, ethically, you know, like I have to, I have to do these things that's more important than whether or not things work out the way I want them to is like something that I've tried to really learn to accept. But one of the things that I find myself struggling with all the time is there are things that to not do them seems like an ethical wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Like to not stand up against evil in the world, to not, you know, to basically like call it to not punch a Nazi, right? That (laughs) is an ethical evil, right? Yeah. But I am also aware that in my life I've been a drug addict who didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I have to at least open the door to self doubt, you know, far enough to say like, am I always going to know the right guy to punch? (laughs) (laughs) If there's some doubt, should I maybe not punch the guy? Yeah. Uh huh. You know, but then at what point am I just being uh, complacent and lazy and not doing the, the work yeah, that, I'm just, that right. I should be doing is something that's something that I that degree to which I do or do not stand up for what I think is right. And whether or whether or not I judge myself as somebody who knows the difference at this point. Ah, that's why revolutions for the young, right? Because <laughs> they don't even, they don't even think about it. You don't question it. Yeah, yeah. You don't think you're just, they didn't, they don't have the A and B and C yet. It's just like, yeah, fucking punch right. this guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which they might be right. And you know, like we might've they just, might be. you know, it's like, um, the people who become public school teachers with the best intentions, 
you know? Yeah. Regardless, if you go through 15, That's 20 what years I want of it that, to be. you know? Yeah. I watched, I watched it through my family. You know, my, my brother is a uh, high school English teacher and, uh-huh. you know, like watching him year after year have to, he has to motivate himself. You know what I mean? The system yeah. he's in certainly isn't going to do it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we were still at school when we were still playing shows together before I had been like, I'm definitely going to be a musician for the rest of my life. You know, when I was just like, this is fun to be in a band. I was doing Teach for America. Mm. And man, that gave me pause. Just that experience of doing Teach for America was like, whoa, I don't know. I don't know if I can be cut out to like be a fatalist, you know, to be like, Uh, yeah, yeah. you're stuck here, kid. And this system sucks and you're not going to change it. So fucking get used to it. It's like, it's like, whoa. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a tough thing to go through. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's another story. We'll talk about that in private. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we've been serious for a good like 15 minutes now. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, too long. Yeah. Ugh, ugh. Um, back to my Anchorman <laughs> manuscript. <laughs> Please. Um, so we had mystery question. Now we have mystery friend. Okay. Ooh. Now, do you know the the point of this game? No. So, okay. So I hit up one of your old friends or new friend. I don't want to give anything away. Okay. And I got a couple stories about something that happened. I'd like you to elaborate on the story and then guess which mystery friend told me. Are you ready? Oh, oh. okay. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. But, I'm filled with fear. But no, no, no. Listen, <laughs> I've run into some issues lately of getting... Some pretty, uh, let's just say, let's, I've, I've gotten some stories from the past that some people don't want to unearth. So I've learned mm. in the process of mystery friend, not to get too, too into the underbelly. <laughs> too illegal. Here, okay? yeah. Nothing illegal. Nothing illegal. Right. So, all right. So the first one I heard was, I, and I remember this about you, you're a bit of a germaphobe okay. and you're recording an album and you're on the floor eating and someone walked by and stuck their hand into your food and ate it. And when you seemed a little freaked out and put your sandwich down, they rubbed your sandwich on a carpet and ate it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And then licked the rest of it. Yeah. To prove what that bacteria is good. Like bacteria is good. Yeah. Don't worry about it. See, look at this. Yikes. So what, what happened? Where, where where was this first off? We were at Big Blue Mini Studio. Okay. Um, we were recording maybe War All the Time. Okay. Maybe not. I'm not sure. Full collapse is what that. I was told. Okay. Well, that's possible. Yeah, that's possible. I mean, we only... The only reason I said War All the Time is because we spent 20 days making Full Collapse and like eight and a half months making war all the time. (laughs) So like, you know, most stories I figure probably (laughs) happened during that. But, but but no, that makes, that actually makes more sense because I think I was like still, (laughs) still driving for what it's worth. Okay. Still had a license. Um, (laughs) So I was like picking up a salad at the same place every day, like a salad, like I think it was actually a salmon salad and he rubbed the salmon on the carpet. And I was like, oh man. Um, but it was the studio owner and the guy who mixed those records. And he was like a real overbearing guy. I have love and respect for him. And I think he's great. And I 
before I was in a band, when I was like 16, I started interning there in the studio and I learned oh, a really? lot. Like, I yeah, I, I learned a lot there. And I took, took care of his four golden retrievers for years. <laughs> and like, I have such a like fondness for that time. Um, but yeah, it made me crazy, crazy that. And I was really hungry. And also like, there's nothing to eat around the studio at the time. So it's kind of like, guess what? You don't have lunch anymore. Yeah, Big Blue is not exactly like you're not looking at a. Uh, that's a bit of a barren food area up there. So, what was your reaction? Were you pissed, confrontational, or did you just kind of sigh and deal with it? That's a good question. I think, I think if it was full collapse, I think I probably sighed and dealt with it because it was like they were doing us such a huge favor of doing the record cheap. Mm. And like, I was kind of like, and I had also worked for him for so long that I was used <laughs> right. to getting beat up by like, you know, when people talk about like the kids these days, right. you know, have it so easy expecting to be, you know, expecting to be coddled with like, with like respect for your humanity. I'm like, well, they deserve humanity, but also like, yeah, I remember working 90 hours a week and being like shit on. Yeah. Constantly, just getting ripped you know? by these people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess with four golden retrievers, you really can't be too stressed about bacteria. You know what I mean? Like, That's a good point, but it, that didn't bother me. Like they would like lick the inside of my mouth all the time. And I'd be like, you're a good dog. Oh, you know? yeah. But like a human with their finger touching my food was like, that's the most disgusting thing. <laughs> I can understand. I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's a strange delineation. I, I mean, I'm yeah. a little more like this guy. You know, I'll, I'll leave food off the floor that's been there for a couple minutes or something. We've been through this. Um, but I mean, I guess I appreciate people like that because I'm like, oh, wow. All the way back then you were uh, you were into, you know, healthy gut flora, you know. <laughs> right. No, I mean, yeah, he's like an ox. This yeah, guy, it's revolutionary. You know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that was one fun one. I got two for this. So who, I'm not. Okay. We're not Am I supposed to guess? No. OK. You. I think you're definitely going to get it after the next one. So maybe field one guess right now. Um, Joe Padula? No. Okay, moving on. Ooh, so okay, okay. the next story I heard, you're close though. Um, so <laughs> I heard back in the day you would like notoriously run out of gas all the time. Oh, I almost told a story about this earlier. Yeah. So yeah. So I heard Space Cowboy, they used to yes, call me. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I heard that <laughs> yeah. you act, overheard a conversation calling you Space Cowboy. And then I heard about a cross-country trip to meet the Murder City Devils where you ran out of gas. Well, what was your deal? Yeah. I would do it a lot. Um, I know. <laughs> I don't know. I would sort of just... I would sort of... This is probably bad to say. I would sort of like black out while driving and just sort of like lose myself and come to. Mm. And uh, usually something would have to change to make me come to. Like So like the suddenly the gas pedal not working would be one of the things <laughs> oh that would gosh. make me come to. Um, did he, did, did the, this person tell you about the field of corn one? No. So I did run out of gas with us in, uh, I guess it was Iowa. Oh, perfect. And <laughs> like 60 miles away from like oh, the nearest God. like rest stop. And so I pulled off at the exit, hoping that I would get to the exit, but I coasted into like a field of corn <laughs> and it was like maybe 5 a.m. Oh or 4.30 a.m. And I also had this really nice 
like Leica camera that somebody had given me. Mm-hmm. And so I, we were stuck with no gas in the middle of a cornfield in Iowa. So I just thought, you know, it's going to get pretty out soon. I went out into the field and started taking pictures. And when my band woke up wondering what the fuck was going on, I just took pictures of them getting out of the van and realizing that I had stranded us <laughs> in a cornfield with no no gas. You were taking it um, artistic before you even began to think about gas. Right. And also, like, imagine my band's reaction, one, to getting stranded in Iowa with no gas, but also, like, Jeff is so unconcerned. He's taking a picture of my tired reaction to being like, what the fuck? <laughs> they were not psyched. No, no. I heard these stories and I'm like, geez, I would be so fucking pissed yeah. if I was on those tours. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, I mean... Tucker came with me. Real quick, Tucker came with me to go get find a gas station was the idea even though we were so far like so far yeah yeah and we found we did one cross street we had walking for maybe a mile and a half and there was finally a cross street and i was like oh houses and by the time we had walked like 20 or 30 paces down the cross street like a pat the neighborhood dogs (gasps) all the stray dogs had started following us like 10 feet behind us (gasps) growling get the fuck out of here really yeah, and he was like, oh, man, I don't know. I, I, I don't think this is good. <laughs> I think this is bad. They're getting up, like, the courage to get closer and snap at us. And yeah. Stuff. Like, yeah. How did that pan out? Did you run? Eventually, somebody came uh, and, and we were like, where's the closest gas station? He was like, no, like 30 miles. What are you talking about? Like, no, there's no gas station. And so I think finally somebody gave one of us a ride and a ride back and we gave him money. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's intense. With one of those little red. I mean, yeah. well, I'm imagining like this is the beginning of like, you know, a great movie. It's like 430 in the morning, five. You know, the sun <laughs> is just creeping up over the horizon. Pre-cell phone. Pre-cell tours. phone. There's an abandoned yeah. van in a cornfield with some sleeping guys. The space yeah. cowboy taking pictures. <laughs> yeah. And then you walk into town with the stray dogs. I mean, this could pan out in so many different yeah. ways. It's great. Oh, I, when we saw Green Room, I don't know if you had this experience. When we saw Green Room, <laughs> we were like, oh, man, we were so close to that so many times. Yeah, so many times. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. So, all right. So now take the guess of who told Tucker? Me. Close. No. Steve. Steve. Steve, Steve Padula. I was closer before when I said his brother. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you almost nailed it. I was wondering. Yeah. I was like, I was like, ah, I don't know. I thought if I used Jonah as a mystery friend, you'd just be like Jonah too fast. It'd be too <laughs> yeah, easy. Yeah, right, right, right. Because right. I don't know any of the other guys in the United Nations or some. I figured if I went yeah. back to a deep Thursday cut, that yeah. that at least you would have to guess the members of Thursday. So right. that was functional. Now speaking of Steve and where you guys are from. There's a quick thing I just want to bring up. Now, <laughs> I... Uh-oh. No, no, no. It's again, it's fun. So okay. I, I'm really into history. So I, I, you know, I looked up your area, right, of where you're from, just out of mm-hmm. curiosity to see if there's anything funky about Dumont or, you know, where you're from. <laughs> there's yeah. not, by the way. Not, oh, really? Not a very rich history. But... There's a couple things, though. Okay, well, lay it on me after this. So the one thing I okay. want to talk to you about is, have you ever heard of burrowitis? <laughs> what? Okay, so uh, oh, this is also burrow fever or burrow mania, 
was the creation so in the 1890s by referendum of large numbers of small boroughs in New Jersey and Bergen County. So there's a whole reason why this was done. It was like township and development of commuter suburbs, but it was really this one like little law that somebody acted that anybody with over like, you know, a thousand square yards and like, you know, a, a mail station or something was allowed to call itself its own borough. And I'm looking oh. at this and I'm like, holy shit. That's the reason when you go up into Bergen County, you're driving yeah. for about two and a half minutes and you're in a new fucking town. Yeah. Well, Dumont is one square mile. Yeah. They're, they're always tiny. Yeah. And then Steve was telling me where he moved. I'm like, oh, this makes sense. What's up with these little things? And it was a phenomenon in the late 1800s called borough-itis. So it was like before Beatlemania, we had borough-itis. Like everybody's like, I'm in a borough. Listen, <laughs> we're, always, we're always the trailblazers, Jeff. I love it, yeah. This is Jersey to the max. Well, you know, Dumont, for a small town, we have a couple famous people. Yeah, so what, yeah, what happened in Dumont? Uh, down the street, have you ever heard of the Iceman? Like the Iceman Cometh? The Iceman Killer, yeah. Oh, yeah. From yeah. Dumont. Okay. Dumont. He lived in Dumont. Good. When he was doing his <laughs> killings at the rest areas and stuff like that and keeping the bodies on ice, that was Dumont. Okay. Was Dumont. By where you grew up? Very close, like down the block. Oh, yeah. good. Good, good. So that's one. Okay. And the other one, I think, I don't know if he lives there anymore or if he just grew up there, but Michael Graves... The second singer of the Misfits. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah. Michael Curtis. I'm not a, I'm not a fan per se. Yeah, but he is from my town. He's in very good shape. Is he? I bet he is. <laughs> well, you have to be right to be in the Misfits. The thing is part of the deal. Oh, I guess you do. Yeah, you got to be buff. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's a maybe a pretty big MAGA guy these days or something. Yeah, I feel like I heard I, that. I really wouldn't doubt that. That was the yeah. same prerequisite in Thursday, right? You had to be like a little yoked up jacked <laughs> yeah <laughs> you had to be so swole to be a thursday is a thing i loved it because <laughs> like in the delineation of thursday tucker was de he was like from white house he was like the man's man in thursday to be you know yeah like by far because yeah. i remember one story about him like killing a deer that he hit with his car and i was like oh that's super fucking tough man <laughs> so mm, well yeah, but he was vegan, so that was a big bummer for him. I know, yeah, he wasn't into it. I had yeah. a similar uh, incident when I hit my first deer. Um, yeah. But yeah, we won't get it. A little Tucker Rule appreciation, Steve Padula appreciation. Let's give him a little... Tucker's the best, man. round of applause. Yeah, Great Tucker drummer. is the best. Tuck Great drummer, amazing drummer. Tucker yeah. was one of those people that I watched. The the re I, I greatly respect Tucker, but I um I always thought it was really cool from a drummer's perspective... From like your demo to your oh. first record to your second record, yeah, you hear Tucker get so much better, you know, and really develop his it's style crazy. and like, and that is always just a testament to hard work and focus and like all the things you have to do to rise the the tide you're in. So I always had a lot of respect for Tucker in that way, and a great performer. He's awesome on stage, man. In the beginning, he was like learning drums to be in Thursday. Right. You know? Yeah. And then that. when you get to war all the time, you just go, dude, what? Yeah. Like Kevin Lyles, we were, you know, we were on Island Def Jam by then. Kevin Lyles, you know, Def Jam, a Def Jam guy. Mm -hmm. When he heard the record, he said, um, is that a drum machine? 
Oh. We're like, no, it's a human. And he goes, it's hard to believe that a person can do that. Wow. And I was like, damn, Tucker. Yeah. You just got like a huge compliment. Yo, that's some juice right there. <laughs> yeah. Intense. You know, if only compliments like that paid for your mortgage, right? Yeah. <laughs> can that be part of Spotify's new profile? Like every compliment <laughs> comes with 0.22 cents or something. I think is it, it? That would be incredible. Be oh nice. my god! So, all right, Jeff, we've been on for a while already. We have, but, but the time melts away with I you. I know, friend. I know. We could, I could talk to you for hours, but I do <laughs> want to see. You know, you've been on this interesting journey, as you said. You're 40 now and kind of on a a new path for yourself. Where are you seeing mm-hmm. yourself at 50? Give me like, give me like the real, the like realistic version, and then give me like the fantasy version. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, the realistic version, like I'd love to realistically figure out how to take all the, the work that I do. You know, I do uh, some music supervising for TV shows. I do like interviews. I do, you know, a lot of different stuff, coaching vocalists right. and producing bands. I'd love to be able to learn how to make a living doing that. That's my realistic goal. <laughs> sure. <laughs> all the amazing things that I do. Um, and then my fantasy goal would be like, um, would be like, I'm like Frank Sinatra. Like, oh. like I've started wearing suits and now I'm just a crooner. I love it. You know, where people are like, oh, I didn't know he was going to be sick when he got oh. older. Like, this is so much better. You know, like that's my. <laughs> Jeb, stop it. That's not a fantasy. This could be done. <laughs> yeah, you can do it, dude. Oh my God. It's so easy. You're from the right area. <laughs> Oh, I got blue eyes. You, you got know, blue, eyes, blue eyes. You're handsome. <laughs> but you know, when they, they I'm going to say it was a blow to see that uh, Scott Stapp got the gig in the movie before I did. You know? uh, yeah. Which is weird, you know, because he's got brown eyes, which is just makes it even weirder <laughs> that he's being cast to play Sinatra. You remind me of one of those questions that I always like to ask people to kind of sum up with what, like where their head is at, which is mm-hmm. which, which would you be st- in the 60s Rat Pack or 70s Stones? Oh, 60s Rat Pack. Yeah. <laughs> For one thing, I'm one of those, I'm not a Stones hater. Of course, I love the Stones music. But like when people are like Beatles or Stones, I'm like, that's not even like, it's not even a comparison. Like throw the Stones out the window and keep like one Beatles record. <laughs> I got to be honest with you guys. <laughs> I don't know if it's because of the difference of how we were raised or the fact that I'm a Jew or something. <laughs> but the idea of hanging out with like this, I don't think, I don't think that would go well for me. What? The, Which one? Like, are you trying to tell me there's no member of the Rat Pack that wasn't anti-Semitic? Are you crazy? There was a Jew in the Rat Sammy Davis Jr. Sammy was, Davis Jr. was, was anti-Semitic. <laughs> he was Jewish. Wait, no, he's Jewish. Apparently. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> he did a lot of questionable things, Sammy Davis. <laughs> No, actually, that's a really interesting story to look up is when Sammy Davis, I think it was Richard Nixon, went on stage with Nixon at a Republican National Convention. And that ended up being a really, really strange stain on his whole life where he, you know, later in life was talking about it like, like, you know, that he shouldn't have done it and he was forced in a weird way. And that's what I'm saying. Rat Pack. No, I think the I'm Rat like, Pack is super questionable. You know, Voting Definitely. Rights Act yeah. didn't happen until 1965. I might not be in a fantasy scenario prior to then. <laughs> right. No, I get it. I get it. 
So, I mean, you enjoy it because you guys are white. <laughs> Have fun look, with the fucking rap look, factor, right? Look, look, look. There's more white people in the Stones. There's, all, there's a bigger percentage of white people in the Stones. I know, only, at least they were stealing black music, right? Yeah. Makes it more comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, there we go. All right. That's the perfect oh. place to end, Jeff. I had like a, <laughs> yeah. I had a bummer of a question, too. But okay. Brad is want to wait till we're off. Then? Brad's been coaching me on going off on a high <laughs> okay. here. You know, he okay, thinks okay. I like that. Yeah, he thinks that sometimes I'm just like, oh, that was really funny. What do you think happens when you die? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, he's like, but will you ever feel love? <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Jeff, I had so much fun talking to you, man. I'm yeah, glad we man, could it's great talking to you catch guys. Up uh, in an interview now. We yeah. don't have to talk on direct message anymore. Let's stay IRL. in touch. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks for doing this. Thanks for All being right, the, a four-time guest of going off track. Yeah. You're yeah. going to get your gold jacket at six, all right? <laughs> I'm looking forward to six. All right. I'm going to go steal it from Jeff Rosenstock. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Have a good one, man. <laughs> Take care, guys. Bye-bye. All right. Hey, whoa. Hey. <laughs> you have that gabagool? Oh. A little gabagool? Space, cow- Space Cowboy <laughs> reminded me. So I uh, I ran out of gas in Nebraska. He Ooh. was in, what did he say, Iowa? He um, said Iowa. Yeah, similar. And it was like, same, it was, you know, I'd been driving all night, not paying attention, and everybody else was asleep in the back of the van. And I pull over and like, they didn't even all wake up. So somebody like stuck their head up and was like, what, what's going on? Yeah, like I fucking out. ran out of gas. I'm going to get, I'm walking. I get out of the van. It's like five o'clock. The sun oh. is just barely cleared. You know, it's like oh. early morning. It sounds pretty. I'm in Nebraska, which means I can see for like 85 yeah. miles <laughs> right. in all yeah. directions. <laughs> right, and there's right, nothing. Right. There's been no signs but I'm like, whatever, I fucked up. I ran out of gas. I get out and I start walking up this long, straight highway, uh-huh. you know, and I get like maybe, I don't know, like 200 feet away from the van when I hear a whoop, whoop, and I turn around. There's a fucking Nebraska state trooper pulling up behind got, me. Got steady on my tail. Okay. Like, I probably had purple hair. Like, you know, it's right, been yeah. like, we'd never had a good run in, you know, as far as I come to know it. At that to that point, there was no Midwestern cool state troopers. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. So I wasn't psyched. He pulls up. He's like, "What's what's going on?" I'm like, "Ran out of gas. I'm gonna go get some gas." He's like, "Hop in." I'm like, yeah, "Fuck!" Okay. So I hop in the front seat. Right? Mm-hmm. He's like, "It's a." He goes, "It's a long way to the next station to the gas station." And he's like, I'll give you a ride. I'm like, oh, cool. Thanks, man. Great, yeah. He proceeds to fucking floor it. <laughs> oh, really? He punched it, dude. It, did, yes. it was almost 100 miles an hour. Which, like, oh, that's awesome. Let's face it. It was a perfectly straight r- road. Yeah. 5.30 in the morning. There's no traffic. Like, I, I didn't, I wasn't afraid for my life, but I was like, holy shit. <laughs> dude, that's tried, fun as fuck. He tried that's to awesome. talk music, but he was like, I listen to country music. I don't really know anything about punk rock. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Drove me to the fucking station, waited while I got a can and filled it and drove me back to the fucking car wow. 100 miles an hour. <laughs> he did 100 each way? Yeah. 
Oh, I love this. This is fucking insane. But uh, how cool! So props to Nebraska State Police because yeah, good on that. Yeah, man, I heard that story, and the first thing that just came to mind was like, oh my god, I would fucking kill that person. <laughs> I would like, like that was the person I was in the band. You know what I mean? <laughs> I would have popped my head and been like, you fucking kidding me? You know, like this is real. <laughs> Maybe the first time, you know, you can make a mistake, right? You're allowed at least one of those. You're elite, you're, if, if it, it happens once you go like, oh, for real? Ran out of gas. All right, let's try to figure it out. But the second time, oh man, I'd lose my shit. Yeah, I think a person could get, could have gotten kicked out of my band but for the, that. Dude, the Midwest and the Far West, it's a long ways between stations. And Yeah, but places. you know that. If you see right, a gas right. station, you're under half a tank, you fucking right, fill it right, up. Right. This is road rules number one, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, it didn't take long to figure that part out. You're right. You're right. Yeah, I don't know. I did it once, okay? And it's actually funny because this ties in the Thursday. I was doing a tour with a band called We're All Broken, who... Uh, Steve from Thursday, his brother, Joe is the drummer and we're all broken. Also a good friend, Joe Padula. Right. And I was touring with those guys and I was doing that stretch in 95, you know, going from like DC back up to Jersey. Ugh, the worst. And, and the worst. anybody who's done that knows you have your two stops on 95 in Maryland. You either have right, Maryland right. house or Chesapeake house. Right. <laughs> Those are your two options. Now I believe it was Chesapeake house that had a Sbarro's. Okay. And I was very into the spinach stuff slice. I thought it was really good. And I just had this hankering for Sbarro's and I passed the Maryland house to try to make it to Sbarro's and realized it was a mistake. <laughs> and I putted that van, I put putted it into the Chesapeake house just to the gas station oh, to nice. get my Sbarro's. <laughs> so, of course, classic fat boy move. I wasn't being a space cowboy. I knew exactly how much gas we had. I just really wanted my stuff slice. <laughs> that's the only time I've even come close to running out of gas. So I'm yeah. like a nut job with that stuff. Yeah. But that's terrifying. Oh, I just black out while I'm driving until the <laughs> gas pedal doesn't work anymore. Yeah, I kind of get it though. You get into a zone. It's not, un I don't think it's unsafe. I think you can make, you know, you can react, but also <laughs> dude, those States, man, it's straight as an arrow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I've done it. I've done it a lot and I've always had gas and never fell asleep. Right, you know, you know listen, this is why Jeff is a true artist and I'm a drummer, you know, <laughs> drummers fill up at a quarter tank. True artists zone out until the gas pedal gives out. <laughs> Maybe that's the delineation here. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That was a really fun interview. I felt like yeah, I pulled off not talking about emo once. <laughs> I didn't talk about My Chemical Romance once. Uh, I tried to give Jeff a little bit of a different interview. You know, off, everyone's always asking him the same Going shit. off track. That's what, yeah. that's what it is. But, uh, but we've known each other a long time and... And, and honestly, I saw I saw him in some pretty, pretty dire spots in his time where like his life could have taken some negative turns. And the fact that he's a few years sober and happy and talking the way he's talking and has his life nice and figured out like this, it's it's refreshing and it's nice to see. You know, I'm really happy for him. Honestly, oh yeah. Um, Check in with Jeff Jeff Rickley at Jeff Rickley, uh, Instagram, Twitter at Thursday Band. Both of those. Um, check in with us at Going Off Track, uh, patreon.com slash going off track, where you can give us money. 
I will try to give you some stuff back that you aren't hearing here right now. Well, Brad, before you ask for money, mm. tell the people what they get for the money. Well, we've got some, I've, I've started to come up with sort of a theme uh, that I call like after the tape stop rolling. Oh, really? We have a new segment on Patreon? I, I kind of like call it that. Okay. I like um, this. Which is, it's kind of true because we record and everybody into this one. I'm not going to get into the tech of it, but I have like kind <laughs> of a safety backup that I keep rolling after yeah. we stop recording. And sometimes the conversation doesn't stop. So that gets posted when it's appropriate. When it's appropriate, yeah. Um, so there's <laughs> stuff like that. We've got some full bonus episodes. I actually may post another vintage. We've got a vintage episode up there with Jonah and Steven hosting that mm. was never made public. Oh, really? Um, cool. Yeah, and I may, there's a part two to it that I may put up in the next week or two. We are, are trying to schedule some like uh, interaction with our patrons. Yeah. Which I'm still trying to nail down, but uh, that would be group in the chat. form of a group chat. Yeah, it's maybe a holiday fun. group chat. Who knows? Oh, I love it. Let's set it up. <laughs> Let's do one before New Year's. Okay, I'll try to make it happen. Group chat with the Patreons before New Year's. But yeah, thanks. We love our patrons. They're yeah very generous to us. And there's also we've you know we've got a Venmo account. It's it's at off track. And if you want to just throw us a buck or two, um, you can give us a tip there. We've got a few recently that. Uh, in, we're grateful for. Thank you. Thank you very mm -hmm. much. Mm -hmm. um, and you can leave us a good, a, a body or otherwise review on iTunes, which is also always nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sexual in nature, please. <laughs> you know, I felt bad about the Rat Pack. So I found <laughs> a quote by Sammy Davis Jr., which says, I have to be a star like another man has to breathe. <laughs> Imagine people said shit like that these days. Wow, I'm gonna. That's what I'm gonna kick off every episode with. Now. I'm a big Sammy fan. I'll give him. I'll give him tons of leeway. No, he's cool. I honestly don't know dick about that stuff. I just basically blanketly look at anything before like 1970 is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, was yeah, if Steely Dan wasn't around. I'm not interested. Oh. <laughs> All right, let's get out of here. Let's All get right, out of here. see you next All week. Right, thanks, everyone. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.